Today on the Matt Wall Show, the ruling class got together at the Met Gala last night to celebrate their wealth. AOC was on the scene in a tax-the-rich dress. Was it a courageous and rebellious display by the congresswoman, or was it rank, shameless hypocrisy? We'll discuss. Also, a new poll shows that an increasing number of, of vaccinated Americans are cutting off ties with unvaccinated friends. Plus, Secretary of State Blinken admits that many of those SIV applicant Afghans were admitting into the country are not actually SIV applicants at all. And a male MMA fighter enters the ring with a female fighter and then proceeds to beat her into submission. This is being celebrated as a brave and beautiful moment in sports history. But I have a different take, as you might expect. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. You know, one of my great struggles in life is that I am extremely forgetful. And this is a problem when traveling, as you know, I've talked about traveling the last couple of weeks. I, al I always forget at least five important things. And um, most recently traveling for the last two weeks, I forgot my relief band. And I paid the consequences because we were taking a lot of, uh, you know, Ubers and everything around. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of stop and starts and going around cities and lots of unpaved roads in New York City because I guess they've decided that paving is, you know, just not not, not worth the time. And uh, and I was feeling pretty motion sick and I wish that I had had my relief band because relief band is the number one FDA cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraine, hangover, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all natural relief with zero side effects for as long as you need. And it really does work. I can tell you that myself. So ensure that nausea is never the reason to miss out on life's important moments. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for Matt Walsh listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use promo code Walsh, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com and use our promo code Walsh for 20% off. AOC's abuela, as far as we know, is still languishing in her unfurnished Puerto Rican shack with water pouring from the ceiling and collecting in tin buckets strewn across the floor. Infamously, the congresswoman would not allow me to step in and rescue the poor woman from her dire situation. And I can tell you that I am still personally haunted by that. I, I still wake up at some nights in a cold sweat shouting, Abuela, I'm sorry I tried, Abuela. AOC, one can assume, has swept, slept like a, a baby this entire time, on the other hand. Now, I bring this up again because I thought about Abuela last night when I saw the picture circulating online of her negligent granddaughter cavorting with her fellow rich people at the Met Gala in New York. Tickets for the opulent event cost somewhere around $30,000 a piece. And if you want to buy a table inside the hall to advertise your brand, something to keep in mind for next year if you're thinking about this for your business, it'll run you about a quarter of a million dollars. So it is a garish extravaganza. The ostensible purpose of which is to raise money for the Metropolitan Museum of Art, but in actuality, the point is to celebrate and revel in the ostentatious wealth of the Hollywood government and media elites in attendance. Now, it may seem rather hypocritical for AOC to show up at this carnival of affluence, but don't worry. The expensive designer dress she donned for the occasion, which appears to have been inspired by a Chick-fil-A takeout bag, had the words, tax the rich, scrawled across it. Those words change everything we're supposed to believe. Normally, it would be hypocritical for a woman who constantly rants about rich people to attend a lavish ball with rich people so that she could rub elbows with those same rich people. But in this case, we're told her attendance is a bold and brave and rebellious statement, all because of those words on her dress. Here she is explaining her fashion choice. My God, tax the rich. What a model, AOC. What up? I didn't know you model as well. Damn. When Aurora and I were first kind of partnered, uh, we really started having a conversation about what it means to be working class women of color at the Met. And we said, you know, we can't just play along, but we need to break the fourth wall and challenge some of the institutions. And, and you know, while... The Met is known for its spectacle. We should have a conversation about it. Yeah. Ah, yeah, have a conversation. Now, here's a general rule. Anytime somebody justifies a particular action that they've taken by claiming that they've done it because they want to start a conversation, it means 100% of the time that they're full of shit. That's what it means. Case in point, later that night on Twitter, AOC further defended her attendance saying, quote, Proud to work with Aurora James as a sustainable, focused, 
a black woman immigrant designer who went from starting her dream at a flea market in Brooklyn to winning the CFDA against all odds, and then worked together to kick the doors open at the Met. The time is now for childcare, healthcare, and climate action for all. Tax the rich. Quick, quick fact check on some of this. Aurora James, the immigrant woman in AOC's phrase, is from Ontario. Now, she may technically be an immigrant, but a fashion designer moving a few hundred miles from Canada to New York isn't exactly the picture that AOC wants us to have in mind when she uses the phrase black immigrant woman. Also, when she says kick the doors open at the Met, what she means is that she took pictures on the red carpet and then drank cocktails with her rich friends. That's kicking the doors open. Not exactly Jesus overturning the tables and driving the money changers away with a whip. If she had done that, totally different story. And when she says child care and health care, keep in mind that health care for children, as far as the congresswoman is concerned, can often include crushing their skulls and throwing them into a medical waste dumpster. So other than those minor details, I'd say that her description was uh, pretty accurate. Now, with that established, I think there are a few other more general points to be made here. First, the problem, let's talk about this tax the rich slogan for a second. The problem is that the slogan is, uh, you know, it seems to suggest that the rich right now are not taxed. That's why you say tax the rich, because according to you, they're not. Uh, if they were being taxed, then the slogan wouldn't make sense. It'd be redundant. But that's not true. The rich pay taxes. They pay lots of taxes. They pay the most taxes. They pay the vast majority of taxes. Tax the rich? Sure, I agree. Of course we should tax the rich. Now, I don't think there are very many people saying that we shouldn't tax the rich at all. So here's the good news. We do. A lot. That's a fact. If you hear that the rich don't pay taxes and you believe it, that must mean that you, first of all, don't read very much and aren't in the habit of researching claims made by partisans before deciding to believe them. It also means, presumably that you don't make much money yourself because if you'd ever had the experience of making a small amount of money and then managing to climb up the ladder a ways, I'm not talking about all the way up to Elon Musk level. I just mean you made a little bit of money and then you had some more success and you made some more money. If you've ever done that and achieved greater financial success relative to where you began, you'll have noticed that as you earn more money, the government takes more money from you. It's a pretty... Uh, inescapable thing. It's, it's, it's pretty obvious. And at a certain point, you'll observe with alarm, they begin to take so much of your income that you question whether the climb was worth it to begin with. That's the case right now. This may come as a shock to anybody who previously believed that the government rewards higher income earners by uh, politely declining to harvest their income, but that's not the case. It's not even close to the case. As it turns out, the government quite enjoys taking people's money. And the more money you have, the more it will want to stick its greasy hands into your pockets. And when Joe Biden is running the government, the hand may even linger there in your pocket for an uncomfortable and unnecessary length of time. So considering that the rich pay most of the taxes, vast, vast majority of the taxes are paid by the rich. Where did this idea come from that they pay no taxes? Well, here's a good example of how the propaganda works. This is a CBS News headline from back in June. It says, quote, it's just the headline. It says, richest 25 Americans have a true tax rate of almost nothing. Wow. Almost nothing? Almost nothing. What? That doesn't sound fair. Jeff Bezos does, doesn't, he pays almost nothing? I mean, what, what is that all about? Well, let's read on. It says the U.S. tax system is designed to be progressive, meaning that the wealthiest citizens pay a greater share of their income than the less fortunate. But a new pro-publica analysis of tax data on some of the nation's richest Americans comes to the conclusion that the richest 25 people in the U.S. have a true tax rate of almost nothing. The pro-publica report focuses on what it calls the true tax rate, which it defines as how much in taxes were paid by the wealthiest Americans annually versus the estimated growth in their wealth during that time. For instance, Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos paid $1.4 billion in personal federal taxes between 20, 2006 and 2018 on $6.5 billion that he reported in income, while his wealth increased by $127 billion during that same period. By ProPublica's calculation, that reflects a true tax rate of 1.1%. 
But some t- continuing. But some tax experts noted that the analysis compares what they say are apples to oranges, income versus wealth. The IRS collects taxes on earned income and income received through stock sales, dividends, and other income provided by investments. It doesn't levy taxes on unrealized gains or the paper value of a person's assets. Ah, okay. There it is. When they say that Jeff Bezos pays almost nothing, what they mean is that he paid $1.4 billion. Nothing? $1.4 billion is almost nothing? They justify this claim through a little sleight of hand trick where they equate equate net worth with income. Those two things are not the same. And it's a damn good thing that the federal government doesn't tax your net worth like it taxes your income. Because that would be a disaster for anyone who has any kind of net worth at all. Can you imagine that if that's what you were doing at at, at come tax time? You would assess not only your, your income for the year, but your entire net worth? And pay on that? Of course, many of the people in the peanut gallery, not to be confused with the elites like AOC, who shout tax the rich, don't have any net worth, have never owned anything. And so these are distinctions and points that go over their head. Now, I say all this, but it's not because I care deeply about protecting Jeff Bezos from higher tax rates. Frankly, I don't care if his taxes go up a little bit. It doesn't, doesn't bother me. My main problem with raising taxes on on anyone is that the government already rakes in three or four trillion dollars a year in tax revenue and squanders almost all of it. You know, I think it's like it's it's three and a half trillion. I think they're up to, or maybe more, that they bring in in tax revenue every single year. And yet there are people saying they need more to do what with? What problem can the government solve? Potentially, that they can't already solve with $3 trillion a year. There is no problem that can be solved by giving even more money to this giant, lumbering, corrupt, wasteful behemoth. Raise his taxes if you want. Whatever. But just just know that it will solve nothing and that the policy is being pushed based on lies and bad faith arguments. And it's being believed by idiots who don't understand the first thing about how the economy works and don't even understand the distinction between income and net worth. Second point, why do you think that the rich love AOC? Why do they love the tax the rich slogan? You know, showing up to the Met Gala in a a tax the rich dress um, that's not like if I showed up to a Planned Parenthood fundraiser in, in, a, in a T-shirt that said, imprison abortionists, which actually sounds like a great thing to do. Maybe I'll do that. But AOC, you know, she was embraced and applauded. If I did that, I'd be assaulted by security and thrown out into the street. The rich are fine with the tax the rich stuff because many of them really don't mind paying a bit more in taxes. That's not because they're generous. I mean, if they were generous... They'd be forgoing, they'd forgo the $200,000 designer outfit and the expensive costume ball and donate that extra wealth to the poor. Have you wondered that? I mean, all these rich people say, oh yeah, tax us, we should be paying more. They say while wearing an outfit that costs more than your house. They could just give up one outfit in their wardrobe and they could put, you know, a a family of five in in a home and they choose not to do that. No, they, they go along with the tax the rich stuff and they call for higher taxes themselves because for one thing, it's an easy and relatively cheap way to virtue signal. And more importantly, it gets them closer to the levers of power. So what, are the, what do all of the people at the Met Gala have in common? They're all in the ruling class. AOC, the other politicians in attendance, the Hollywood degenerates who are there, all of them are in the ruling class together. They have a shared interest. They have shared goals. And that is mainly to maintain and extend their own influence. Sure, they'll pay a little more in taxes. What do they care? They know those taxes are being spent by their comrades to advance their own ideological interests anyway. And their own financial interests. So for them, for the people at the Met Gala or the people who were at the VMAs the night before, big big week for, for Hollywood degenerates, by the way. They could bring it, break out all their uh, ugly costumes. But for those people, paying taxes, that's an investment for them. They get something in return for it. 
mean, they get an entire system, an entire political system that works at their behest. That's what they get in return. That's why our objective shouldn't be simply to tax the rich, but rather to dethrone the ruling class. You'll notice AOC, she didn't put that on her dress because that's the last thing she wants to do. Third point, finally. The rich also aren't too worried about AOC's tax the rich sloganeering because they know it isn't serious anyway. She wasn't the only one who showed up last night with bumper sticker jargon emblazoned on her outfit. There were plenty of you know celebrities wearing gaudy but basically non-political outfits like Nas, little, little Nas X was there. and He could be seen here dressed like a C-3PO's gay cousin. But there was also Cara Delavigne, whoever that is, wearing what looks to be a, a fake bulletproof vest with um, Peg the Patriarchy written on it. And then Carolyn B. Maloney, whoever that is, with equal rights for women printed on a robe that looks like something that a lesbian Episcopal bishop might wear. And then Megan Rapinoe with a handbag featuring the words, in gay we trust. You know, the other thing you see in all these pictures are the wide-eyed, starstruck reporters in the background wearing face masks and hungrily snapping pictures. Now, the celebrities, they're not wearing face masks. That's actually the greatest hypocrisy on display in this entire thing. None of them are wearing face masks. Why aren't they wearing face masks? Because that would ruin their outfits. Because it wouldn't look as nice. And it's true. that You look ridiculous in a face mask. Everybody does. So it's one of the many reasons why I don't wear them. Uh, but all the reporters. So, so the uh, the you know the the servants are all wearing masks, and the reporters who are also servants for the for the for the ruling class, they're all in masks. AOC not wearing a mask. None of the rest of them are wearing masks. This is really the whole thing in a nutshell, isn't it? Because truly. Nothing says modern leftism like a gaggle of rich elitists at a $30,000 per ticket gala walking around in hideous designer dresses with shallow political slogans emblazoned across them while an adoring press looks on drooling into their muzzles. It's all empty. They're all just cosplaying as political revolutionaries. None of them care about any of these issues. None of them believe in anything but their own power and their own influence. And last night was the perfect illustration of that fact. Let's get now to our five headlines. Now, a quick word from our friends over at Mack Weldon. You know, I've uh, become something of a fashion designer myself recently with the sweet, uh, sweet baby gang t-shirts. And I am... Um, I take inspiration from Mac Weldon in my new role as a fashion designer. Not to blame them for the uh, Sweet Baby Gang t-shirts. I would never do that. Uh, but listen, the Mac Weldon, Mac Weldon, they've got something called the Daily Wear System. The Daily Wear System is a selection of clothes rooted in smart design, made with performance fabrics and built to work together. From breathable t-shirts and polos to stylish button-ups and shorts, underwear and beyond, Mac Weldon makes it easy for you to dress for work, leisure, or play. For the ultimate lazy Sunday, they're... Ace sweatshorts have modern tailoring and pair perfectly with their ultra-soft, ultra-upgraded Pima tees. Uh, for, for weekend travels, both near and far, their silver knit polo and radius shorts are the perfect high-tech, highly packable combo. They've got it all at uh, Mack Weldon, so you can buy some time this fall with the Mack Weldon Daily Wear System. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com slash Walsh and enter promo code Walsh. That's MacWeldon.com slash Walsh, promo code Walsh, for 20% off. Mack Weldon, radically efficient wardrobing. All right, poor Abuela, poor, poor Abuela. I really do. I'm not even joking. I actually do. I, I think about Abuela regularly, and I wonder how she's doing. However she's doing, she's not as doing, doing nearly as well as her, as her granddaughter. I think that could be uh, said for sure. Let's start with this. Secretary of State Blinken testified before Congress um, about the efforts to you know, get Americans out of Afghanistan and to bring Afghans into this country because right now everything is kind of uh, on its head, right? We've got Americans in Afghanistan. We're bringing Afga Afghans, we're bringing Afghans to America while leaving Americans there. Uh, everything is, is upside down and backwards and topsy-turvy. But here is, we'll start with a couple of clips here. This is Secretary of State Blinken during his testimony um, when he was asked how many of the Afghans that we brought here do not meet the requirements for special immigrant visas because we've been told 
that these are all SIV applicants, special immigrant visas, and uh, and many of them are translators. We we apparently had a lot of translators in uh, in Afghanistan. Who who knew? You know, there's only what we had 2,500 troops there, and apparently like a hundred thousand translators. Every every uh, American service member in Afghanistan had a whole team of translators just surrounding him everywhere he went. It would seem. And Blinken was asked about this, and here's what he said. They were there to help Americans right. get out. How many not Afghans the, uh, not meeting the qualifications of SIV have been brought to the United States? Prior to, I, I want to know ahead, how please. many Afghan citizens came to the United States that had not met the qualifications for special immigrant visa. We're in the process no, of no, no. How going many? through. How many? How I, many I, did I, you bring? You were just at Dulles. How many did you bring? We have. We will have by the end of the month. We will have brought a total of pro- approximately sixty thousand that have uh, not met the, the SIV process. Some, some of those will be. Some of those will have been through the SIV process. All of them, regardless of SIV status, will have gone through rigorous security checks first at the transit it'd point. Be nice outside we, of the it'd be States, nice if we. It'd be nice if that was done before States. we brought these people to the United States of America. So he said he won't answer the question. He says sixty thousand total, and he's not going to say how many of them actually meet the requirements versus how many don't. And, and the actual answer that he won't give is, well, we don't care. What do we care about that? that that's not our concern. You know, if we make them citizens, will they vote Democrat? That's, that's one requirement. We're, we're worried about that. But other than that, who cares? Uh, here's something that he does care about. That is the LGBT community in Afghanistan. He says he's very focused uh, on, on uh, the, the fate of the LGBT community. Let's watch. As you know, Mr. Secretary, the LGBTQI community in Afghanistan is extremely vulnerable to punitive actions from the Taliban. It's important, in my view, that we take steps to ensure that those who would be subjected to violence or worse because of their sexual orientation or gender identity are safe. Uh, the Council for Global Equality, the Human Rights Campaign, and LGBTQI plus refugee support groups released a 10-point plan to protect Afghan LGBTQI refugees. My question is, have you seen this plan? And if so, is the administration prepared to implement it? And is it consistent with the presidential memorandum of early 2021 uh, that speaks of the responsibility to help Afghan refugees that make it to neighboring states as outlined in that memorandum? Well, thank you for very rightly putting the spotlight on concerns about the LGBTQI plus community uh, in Afghanistan and the particular threat that they uh, may find themselves under. Uh, this is something that we are focused on. I have not personally seen the report that you referred to. I'm going to ask uh, to see it. I'm pretty sure that my, my team has, uh, but I'll take a look at that myself. And I thank you for sending it to us. I, I know this is not even really the point. Uh, I mean, there is no point to anything that this empty-headed moron says in the first place, but LGBTQI plus, you know, he has to, he has to get the whole, ac- not, not, that's not even close to the whole acronym, but you know, the I stands for intersex. So you know, part of the concern is, uh, is, is uh, we're, we're focused on the fate of intersex people in Afghanistan. Is, is that, is, is that like a major concern of the U S government? Intersex people in Afghanistan. The fact that the I gets included at all, but has nothing to do. You know, being intersex is a is a, it's a medical condition that that has to do with the uh, with the appearance of your genitals. You know, it's a it's a birth defect. It's a it's a deformity. It's a genetic mutation. And the way that we, we put them in the LGBT, it's got nothing to do with it at all. It's not a lifestyle choice. It's not a sexual orientation. It's not gender identity. You know, I, I, I often wonder how intersex people feel about being included. Of course, you don't hear from them very often because there are very few of them. This is, this is a, a very, very, thankfully... Uh, a very, very rare condition. Um, but even so, if if that if if I had that condition, I'm not sure I'd be a fan of just being appropriated in this way. Talk about appropriation and being lumped in with some 
group that, uh, why, why am I a part of that group? Well, the answer is, the reason why, I'm, I'm asking all this rhetorically, I know the answer. The answer is that intersex people are useful to trans people. And like we talked about yesterday, trans people at the top of the, of the victimhood pyramid and whatever they say goes. And so if, if you're intersex and trans people say, well, we, we need you on our team. What do you mean? I don't want to be on your team. I'm not, I'm, I'm just, this is a medical condition. Doesn't matter. We need you here. Get over here. Because of the, of, of this false equivalency that they can draw. That's what you get on the left. They, they can never argue about the actual point. You know, they got to go all the way to the rare cases that have nothing to do with the main point. So you talk to anyone on the left about transgenderism, within 10 seconds, they're going to be bringing up intersex people, which is an entirely different category that has nothing to do at all with a biological male who identifies as a woman. The fact that some people have genetic defects that affect the, the, uh, the, the appearance of their genitals says nothing at all about transgenderism, whether it's valid or invalid. If I'm a biological male, fully biological male, identifying as a woman, and you say to me, well, how can you be a woman? It doesn't make any sense for me to say, well, but look at these people over here. They have a, gen- they have a, a medical condition. But yeah, but do you have that medical condition? No, I don't, but they do. And, you know, so that means that I'm, what? All right. That ain't nothing. What, what were we even talking about? Oh, yeah. Um, intersex Afghans. Okay. Let's move on to the next topic here. From the New York Post, it's the ultimate form of social distancing. It says one in seven vaccinated Americans have ditched pals who've refused to get the COVID-19 vaccine, according to a new poll. The one poll survey from Monday found 16% of respondents have broken up with at least three friends since the pandemic began in March 2020. Of those who ended friendships, 66% were vaccinated and 17% have no plans to receive the shot. About one in seven or 14% of those who've been vaccinated said they dumped their friends because of their refusal to get jabbed. A vast majority of the vaccinated respondents, 97%, believe their former friends are full-blown anti-vaxxers who couldn't be convinced of the importance of getting the life-saving shot. Um, and, well, I, we need, some of the words being used here don't really work because you say they ended their friendships. There was never a friendship to begin with. So that's one thing you can be pretty sure of. If you have a friend who won't speak to you now, who's broken up with you, I don't know how a friend breakup works in the first place, but you're just friends with someone. But do you actually call them up and say, I got to break up with you? I can see maybe that's something women would do, tending to be a little bit more dramatic about these things. No offense. I certainly hope men aren't doing this. Are there dudes calling up their buddies? Hey, man, uh, listen, we got to break up. What? Break up? What are you talking about? I can't see you anymore. You, you won't, I got this substance injected into my body, and you won't get it injected into yours. And, uh, you know, I wanted to be vaccine buddies with you. I wanted to share the same substance coursing through our veins, but you won't, so I can't see you. Anymore. How bizarre. That was never a friend, so you don't have to worry about that. If any, if any friend has broken up with you. Um, first of all, to begin with, that means that they're lame and corny and who wants to be around them anyway. But that was never a real friendship. And of course, it goes back to the same contradiction. Because one of the things that drives people to uh, break up with their friends or alienate their family members, not want to be the, around their family members and their friends who aren't vaccinated, one of the things that drives that is that they, who are the vaccinated people, feel that, uh, they're, that it would be unsafe, that their health would be jeopardized if the other people around them don't also have the vaccine. So their message is, and I've been trying to distill this down to, to something very simple, to understand their mentality. And I think this is it. This is their message. This is what they're saying. The vaccinated people who are, you know, not wanting to be around unvaccinated people. They're saying, you must get the vaccine to protect me because I got the vaccine and I don't trust it to protect me. I got the vaccine and I've decided it doesn't protect me. And so you have to get the vaccine to protect me. That's what they're saying. 
There, there are a couple levels of contradiction there, which make no sense at all. And the first problem is this whole idea that it's someone else's responsibility to make a medical decision for their body for your sake. The idea that they have to make a medical decision. Forget about whether it's the right medical decision or not. It doesn't matter. You're saying they have to make a medical decision about their own bodies for you. How selfish could you possibly be? And on top of that, you, you apparently don't trust the vaccine to protect you anyway. So why should they do it? When you say to someone, oh, get the vaccine to protect me, what they should respond is, get the hell out of my face, you weirdo. And if they don't want, if they don't want to be that rude, then, then they could say, well, don't you have the vaccine? Well, yeah, I have it. And does it protect you? Um, no. So why do I have to do it? There's no way around this. They can't get around it. Um, so, they, so they simply ignore it. And you could say all you want, well, uh, yeah, but it's, it's layers of protection. And yeah, the vaccine works to protect you when you take it yourself. But if someone else gets it, then you're even more protected. Okay, fine. So let me, I'll add the word significant into it. Does the vaccine offer significant protection or not? And if you tell me no, then I don't see how we could require or demand that anyone put a drug in their bodies that doesn't offer them significant protection. If you say yes, then you're significantly protected. Get over it. Just move on with your life. I mean, that's the most you can ask for in life. The most you can ask for. And even sometimes this is too much to ask for, depending on what the risk is. But the most you can ask for in life is that you are that you, you, you take precautions that significantly protect you against uh, various forms of harm. There, there is no absolute protection. The best you'll ever get when it comes to protection against harm of any kind is significant. And sometimes with some forms of harm, you, you won't even get that. All right, this is from the Daily Wire. It says, students in New York City's public schools returned to 100% in-person learning for the first time since schools began remote only in March 2020. But as multiple parents and outlets report, in-person does not mean a return to normal and may end up harming students just as much as remote learning did. Uh, Carol Markowitz, a New York Times, uh, Markowitz, I think, New York Post columnist with children and, and NYC's public schools reported the harsh conditions kids face in the new school year. Uh, she said, my daughter's Manhattan middle school won't be using lockers this year. My son's Brooklyn elementary school let us know that water fountains will remain closed. No group projects, no field trips, no parties. Outdoor resource sets will be masked and distanced. Forget tag or sports. This word is way overused, but how dystopian is this really? The image of masked children outside during recess who can't come within six feet of other kids. What, are you going to draw circles on the ground, on, in the grass? Stand in your circle. Give them a ball, they can just throw it up in the air themselves. You catch a kid throwing a ball to another kid, grab the ball, disinfect it, put the two kids in uh, detention in, in separate classes. Is that what we're doing? Yeah, that is. That's, that's what we're doing. Uh, she pointed to a health guide from New York's Education Department, which suggested schools cancel sports, theater, clubs, and all music-related activities because children might breathe too much during them. Oh my God. Uh, the guide states, quote, due to increased exhalation. Oh, it literally says that. Okay. It actually says don't do activities where kids will do too much breathing. Exorbitant breathing is a, is a, is a real problem now. Maybe that's something kids will get detention for. Get them suspended. Write that on the slip. Too much breathing. You know, you know, we, we, you know, what we should do. We should assign. We should tell kids this is how many breaths you're allowed to take in school. So let's figure out. This, this is what, and this is what we need to do for the sake of the kids and for safety. Let's figure out um, average school day. Let's say it's seven hours. How many breaths will a kid typically take? I don't know how many breaths it is, but you know, I, I don't know. 
And we'll figure out what the average is. You give them leeway of like five or six extra gasps. And beyond that, no breathing. We're going to count the breaths. Go beyond that. It's going to be serious consequences. The guide states, due to increased exhalation that occurs during physical activity, some sports can put players, coaches, trainers, and others at increased risk for getting and spreading COVID-19. Close contact sports and indoor sports are particularly risky. Similar risks might exist for other extracurricular activities, such as band, choir, theater, and school clubs that meet indoors. Does it actually put people at a greater risk? Do you have any science for that? Any data? Have there been any studies? Do we have any statistics? Are there, is there any, are any, are there any numbers you can show us? Kids playing physical, close contact sports like tag or, or whatever, football, basketball. I mean, all sports almost are, are, phys- are certainly physical at, at a minimum. So is there any data that shows us? Has, has there been an example anywhere in the world of kids playing a sport outside and there being a, a, a COVID outbreak because of it? Has there been any super spreader dodgeball game? I tend to doubt it. Then again, they're not allowed to play dodgeball in, in school anyway. That, that went away a long time ago. Um, Markowitz wrote that uh, one Manhattan elementary school sent parents a survey asking what they should do in case of inclement weather. One of the options was actually skip lunch. So they have to eat lunch outside. And they'll sit on the ground... Some schools have forbidden students from talking during lunch. And if it's raining or something, then they're going to say, well, you're just not going to have lunch. Because that's healthier. Make the kids go all day. That's the healthiest thing. To have kids wearing the face muzzle all day, breathing in their own sweat and dirt and grime. And don't let them eat either. Uh, On Twitter, she noted that students will have to fill out a health form each morning before school, which asks if they're experiencing any symptoms of COVID. And, you know, the problem with with that, I mean, of all of these uh, regulations, which are all insane, maybe if you don't think very much about it, the one that might sound the most reasonable is uh, fill out a form and make sure you don't have COVID symptoms. I mean, we could all agree that if a kid actually has COVID, he shouldn't go to school. Um, and he, it's just like if there's any other respiratory virus, he shouldn't go to school. If he has a flu, he shouldn't go to school. But you think about what the symptoms of COVID are. The symptoms are headache, uh, fatigue, runny nose, slight cough. The symptoms are anything. The symptoms are anything other than feeling perfect. If you're feeling anything less than absolutely perfect in this moment, you have COVID symptoms. And what that means is that kids either are going to have to just get in the habit of lying on the form or they're going to get sent home every single day. Speaking of preparing classrooms for COVID, the SEIU union tweeted a video of their COVID buster unit preparing schools. This is also in New York. And let's play this. Here they are preparing the, uh, this looks like a, you know, some kind of first grade or second grade classroom. Preparing the uh, the classroom for, for, you know, kids coming. What is he doing right now? Does he even know what he's doing? Looks like he's just spraying pesticide into the air. It would not surprise me if that's what they're doing. You have kids dropping dead from pesticides sprayed in the air. That's not actually what they're doing. YouTube, don't don't ban me. Uh, well, I don't know. They're, they're, praying, they're, they're spraying some sort of disinfectant into the air. <laughs> Accomplish absolutely nothing. But it's all part of this... Um, one of the real diseases in our culture right now, the do, the do something disease. And that's what all of this is about. Well, do, do, do something, anything at all. And so what you find in school is that they're doing a lot of some things. They're just doing things uh, ostensibly in response to COVID. None of it will have any positive health effect at all. N- none of it will prevent COVID. You still see now, uh, even outside of the classroom, and I saw a lot of this traveling around the country. Uh, there's a little bit less of it here in Nashville, but in other cities, you go to a store, the cashier is, in, is encased in glass like Hannibal Lecter. We already know that doesn't do anything. That doesn't stop the spread of COVID. 
If anything, it makes it worse because now you've got an extra surface that can get uh, dirty. And, and, and also it restricts the, the flow of air and, you, and, and circulation of air. You want greater air circulation. You don't put more obstacles in place restricting airflow. And we know that, and yet they just continue to do it because it's something. All right, let's move on now to reading the YouTube comments. Uh, Andrew Claven, I believe this is an imposter, says, Matt, I agreed when you warned against Republicans using Jenner to call Dems transphobes while we're the real inclusive, inclusive, inclusivists. There's a word. How is that different from saying the licentious VMAs are old hat while conservatives are the real revolutionaries? In both cases, an arbitrary third value, inclusivity or rebelliousness, is claimed as a way to elevate our standing. And in both cases, it distracts from our true values and motivations. Please don't ban me. Well, I would never ban the real Andrew Clavin from the show, but you, the imposter, are banned, sir. Because, um, first of all, I'm not proposing rebelliousness as a value. I'm observing the fact that um, that this debauchery is meant to be rebellious, and instead it is tired and dreary and boring. And I think that's a worthwhile point to make. Um, because it is it is sold as as something exciting and different and uh, and and kids are told this. You listen to this music and behave this certain way that you're going to be, you know, taking down the system, tearing down the patriarchy like the woman had on her dress at the Met Gala. In reality, this is the system. You're doing exactly as you're told. You're doing exactly as the people in charge, people in, in positions of power want you to do. And also it's dull and dreary and boring, like I said. So I, I think that's an important point. And second, um, you know, so-called traditional values are revolutionary and rebellious in our age. That is another statement of fact, and I think it's an important one. That doesn't make them right, of course. So I take your point there, and it's not like that's my sole argument in favor of them. I'm not saying that's the only thing that we should be saying in favor of so-called traditional values. It is, again, an observation. But it is also true that young people have a natural yearning to rebel against the standing order. And I think that uh, in this case, that is something worth harnessing. It's not always, you know, it, it can be harnessed in negative ways, certainly. But it's a way of taking what can be a positive attribute, an inclination, an instinct, and directing it towards positive ends. And we do that a lot with kids on a day-to-day basis. Just as parents, we do that. That is so much of parenting. That's so much of raising the next generation is taking all of this excitement and enthusiasm that, that kids naturally have. And you don't, you don't want to simply tamp it down. You don't want to drug them into submission like they do in schools. But you also want to make sure you harness it in the, in, in the correct way. Um. That's so much of parenting, and I think that that's part of what I'm talking about here. All right. Let's see. Username Person says, Matt, just so you uh, know, many people in the black community are against Lil Nas X's antics. They're trying to push this stuff on the black community, and many are pushing back, but it doesn't get media attention. Um, yeah, this is this is something that that I often hear. I mean, traditionally... And by the way, unfortunately, you are banned for the uncreative username. I mean, put a little bit more effort. That You know that I'm reading the comments on air, and you go with person. So you can make another new username and come back. But as to your point, yeah, this is, some, this is, this is something tr- traditionally it's been, it's been thought that um, you know, the black community, immigrant communities, you know, the Hispanic community tend to be more culturally conservative. Um. Certainly more so than, you know, your white liberal yuppies. And yet, the black community and immigrant communities, by and large, vote Democrat. And so there is that, uh, that real disconnect there. All right, let's see. What else do we got? Um, as we were talking about cities, so this is one 
you know, I, I was saying I can't imagine how anyone would choose to live in the city. And a lot of comments about that. I'll read one representative's uh, comment here. This is from Joe Schneider says, I live in NYC and I can attest that your description of our lifestyle, even as a tur- tourist, is accurate. We used to have an incredible amount of culture and artistry that helped offset the side you're describing. And for a couple of decades, we'd gotten our crime under control. But with COVID and de Blasio slash modern day leftism, now it's just an expensive, urine-smelling, crime-ridden shithole. Yeah, and there were other comments. So there's a lot of comments saying that, saying, yeah, this is exactly what it's like in New York and, and many of these other cities, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and you know, Philadelphia, Baltimore, on and on. Um, a lot of comments like that. Other comments saying, well, hey, you're telling people to get out of the cities, and that means that we're, we're abandoning the cities to this fate. Shouldn't we stay in there and fight to turn it around? I guess my answer to that would be, first of all, you have to make whatever choice you think is right for you. But if you're a, a single person um, and you feel like you want to stay in the city environment, partly for this reason, to be a, a shining light in the darkness, it's not a choice I would make, but I can respect that choice. I think, though, if you have kids, you know, if you're a family, and I get that there are many people living in cities right now with families and they'd like to leave, but they can't. So I understand that. But if you have kids, if you have a family and there's an opportunity to leave and you're able to, then, uh, then I think you have to. It's, sort of, it's the same thing I say with public schools. It's one thing if you want to fight, if you want to put yourself sort of behind enemy lines and, and you, you want to subject yourself to that. But you're also asking your kids. And in public schools, your kids are the only ones doing the fighting. Which is why if there's an option to get them out, I think, I think you got to. And it's the same thing with, uh, with the cities. It's also, I'm afraid to say, probably a losing battle. The corruption and the rot and the decay in, in many of our cities is so deep and has been building for so long that you, know, you stay there to try to turn it around. I don't know that you're going to be able to turn it around before it destroys you. So that's the real thing you have to grapple with. But uh, thanks for all those comments. There is no issue more pressing than the blatant authoritarianism being exercised by the current administration. Vaccine mandates are un-American and the antithesis of freedom. It's wrong. It's affecting all of us. And we're ready to talk about it tonight. That's why you should tune in to catch an all new episode of of, uh, Backstage, where we will discuss what's happening and how we fight against it. Um, That's going to be, of course, you know, Backstage, like every episode, myself, Ben Shapiro, Jeremy Boring, Michael Knowles, and Andrew Clavin. Uh, with a really important issue to discuss tonight. It streams tonight at 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 p.m. Central on dailywire.com and on our YouTube channel, Daily Wire. You don't want to miss it, believe me. And you also don't want to miss the new Sweet Baby Gang t-shirts, which will couple well with the new Sweet Baby Gang anthem that you can now hear on the show every day. As expected, the uh, t-shirts are selling out fast, so you got to click the link in the description to go order yours today. It is a masterpiece of design. I finally have... Uh, I had to, you know, I actually had to ask to get my own t-shirt, but I finally have the t-shirt here myself, and I should be wearing it. Maybe I'll wear it today, tomorrow on the show, but that is, that's the official Sweet Baby Gang t-shirt. Um, if you haven't gotten it yet, I know who you are. I'm keeping track of everybody who claims to be a gang member and has not gotten that t-shirt, and you don't want to know what the consequences are, because there are none, but still, go get uh, the t-shirt today. Click the link, the link in the description, get your Sweet Baby Gang t-shirt. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today for our daily cancellation, we turn to the story of MMA fighter and woman beater Alana McLaughlin. Now, the most important thing to know about McLaughlin is that he is a male. He is also former Army Special Forces, but mostly he's a male. And when I say he's a male, I mean he has XY chromosomes and a male reproductive system and male gametes. So it makes a person a male. He also has a male bone structure, muscle structure. He's male from head to toe, from skin to bone, from his brain down to his cells, down to his DNA. Literally every part of him is male. If they dig up his remains 100 years from now, no matter how much of him is left, they will be able to tell that he was male. That will indeed be one of the only things they will be able to tell about him. That's because your maleness or your femaleness is one of the most ingrained, most permanent, most enduring aspects of who you are. It's so enduring that it remains even after you die. McLaughlin will be a male even when he doesn't exist anymore. That's how male he is. Think about that. If you're a man, even when you stop existing, you'll still be a man. And yet, 
That didn't stop him from fighting a woman in the MMA ring. During the combat global prelims on Friday night, McLaughlin fought and easily defeated Celine Provost, another MMA fighter. To be more specific, after beating her across the head and the body for a couple of rounds, he eventually got her into a submission hold and choked her out. This was, again, a man beating the crap out of a woman. An event that, in the past, would have been roundly condemned by everybody. When former Ravens running back Ray Rice punched his wife in an elevator, it was one of the, it was one of the biggest sports scandals in NFL history. And Rice was run out of the league, never to return. Now we know that Rice could have simply come out the day out, the day that the security camera footage was leaked. Could have come out and said, um, said that he's a woman. Asked everyone to call him Regina Rice from now on. It's bad for Ray to, be, to beat a woman, but Regina, now, that's a different story. That's why Alana McLaughlin is being celebrated as a, as a hero today after choking a woman into submission. But McLaughlin is not the one I'm canceling today. Yeah, he's a cheater, a woman beater, a bad person for that reason. He's also a pathological narcissist. Yes, he's a, he's a male who beat a woman to a pulp and who identified Fallon Fox as his hero. Fallon Fox is the other trans MMA, MMA fighter who retired a few years ago, who twice fractured a woman's skull and then bragged about it. So yes, all of that is true, and all of that is worthy of cancellation, to be sure. But as always, the bad guys disgust me somewhat less than the cowards who knowingly go along with the evil because they're too scared and too selfish to speak out. And the announcers and commentators during this farcical fight on Friday night give us a pretty good idea of what that cowardice sounds like. So let's go through some of these clips. First, here is uh, one of the hosts before the fight introducing Alana McLaughlin and uh, very, very gingerly acknowledging that maybe some people in the viewing audience might have a problem with watching a man kick and punch a woman for 10 minutes. Listen. Back here on Combate Global with Rodolfo Roman. My name is Max Bretos, and Alana McLaughlin will be fighting here tonight. And the topic of trans athletes competing obviously splinters the conversation quite frequently. However, whatever side you think about and whether you think that the trans athletes should compete, one thing we can all agree on, the sacrifices one has to make to make that decision is bigger than anything any of us would do on a regular basis. Alana McLaughlin has had to overcome many hurdles in her life and her career. It's a journey that only her have taken. Let's take a closer look at some of those sacrifices that she has had to make. As early as I knew there was a difference between girls and boys, I knew that something was different. I grew up mostly in South Carolina. My upbringing was not exactly standard. It wasn't usual. My parents go to church five times a week. It wasn't the best childhood. We didn't have a lot of money. And of course, growing up a queer kid in the South, it was never going to be easy. My family definitely was not supportive and are not today. His family is not supportive. Well, that's good news, at least. You know, like how he says, uh, yeah, my, fam- my, my upbringing was, uh, yeah, it was pretty rough, not usual. My family went to church. And that's all he has. That's, that's his only, that's his horror story of being raised. Man, I had it pretty tough. Kid, family went to church. Yep, that was it. Now, I can tell you that I certainly would not be supportive of my son getting into the ring with women and choking them on national television. That's not something that I would support, to put it mildly. And yet the announcer says that... Um, we can all agree that the sacrifices made by a male who beats up a woman are bigger than any of the sacrifices that any of us have ever made. Have ever made. We can all agree, he says. And what he means, of course, is that we must, we must all agree. We are required to agree. Just as his employers have told him that he must agree. That's why his facial expression and his stuttering, stammering delivery remind you of a hostage tape. This guy knows how hopelessly screwed up all of this is, but he's cooperating with the charade. And that brings us to the fight itself, speaking of the charade. Fast forwarding a little bit to where the foregone conclusion is realized and the man beats the woman. Let's listen to the announcers as they very carefully wrestle with the implications of the spectacle that they themselves are now a part of. Big right hand. I, for one, and just full transparency, I don't know what to expect. I don't know how to feel about this. But I pull for Alana McLaughlin because you've seen what you've gone through. To do, go through what she has done, it's, it's a seismic change in your life, but it's the pursuit of happiness. 
Absolutely, but you know, at the end of the day, Max, it really does come down to technique and skills. You could be as strong as you want, but skill, technique, yeah. will always conquer. Well, I agree with you there, Rodolfo, but that's a that's an argument people will bring up, and they'll they'll beg to differ. Big now the strength tried to go for the double. Up, does pretty well, gets her on the ground. Now as you can see how her ground game goes. This is uh, for Celine Provost, the. Uh, Uncharted Waters. Yeah, not your typical wrestling double takedown, as you can see. She had to hold her up there for a while. Usually your, your wrestler will go straight down for the knee area or even to the ankles, to be honest, just to bring them all the way down. She had to lift her up like a deadlift, and then she brought her down. McLaughlin's got the back of Provost, and now we have dug a in deep. And the tap. tap! Alana McLaughlin, victorious in her MMA debut via the rear naked choke. Had to take a lot of pressure to get there, but she did. Hmm. Yep, beat the woman in the ribs, uh, had her bleed in the face, choked her out. Now, you, you hear them say, uh, if you can't beat them, join them. Well, if you want to beat them, join them. In Alana McLaughlin's case. Now, but the announcer says, I don't know how to feel about this, but certainly Alana feels good. And that's the most important thing. I don't know how I feel or how anybody feels or how the woman getting pummeled into submission right now feels, but all that matters is how the trans person feels. If it makes him feel, to, feel good to beat a woman, who are we to judge? The pursuit of happiness, he says. So this is the pursuit of happiness as this, this man is in the process of punching a woman in the ribs. We all pursue happiness in our own ways. Now I'm just paraphrasing the announcers here a little bit. And then finally... Um, here they are at the conclusion of the fight, sharing their, their closing thoughts about everything that we've all just watched. Oh, that was a game plan and it worked to her advantage. Kudos to Celine, she took the fight. And kudos to Alana. Right now, I'm sure a lot of teenagers, adults are emotional. Yes, uh, victory for the trans community. And the conversations will go from here as to what's next for Alana McLaughlin whether this should be part of the sport. Right now, that doesn't matter. Alana McLaughlin has gone through hell and high water to get here. This was a fight that was supposed to happen August the 6th, put on hold, finally here in the first week of September, second week of September, it happens. Yes, a lot of teenagers and adults are emotional. What does that mean, by the way? A lot of teenagers and adults are emotional watching this, what? And but they're having conversations. And the trans community is having conversations. And there are some who might say maybe that this shouldn't be a part of the sport, that this sport should not be a staging ground for men to beat the hell out of women. Some might say that, but that doesn't matter now because, again, the trans person feels good. He's feeling very good about all of this. And that's what matters. That's the only thing that matters in the whole world. The world itself indeed exists simply to make trans people feel good about themselves. All of us on our deathbeds, when surrounded by our loved ones, We'll surely ask ourselves one question. Did I, during my life, make trans people feel good about themselves? And woe to those who cannot say yes on that day. What regret, what terrible regret. Again, I'm slightly paraphrasing what we just said. Now you have to ask yourself, do any of these men hosting this fight and commenting on it actually think that any of this is okay or logical or morally justifiable? No, they don't. Yeah, I can read their minds and tell you they don't. We can say with certainty they don't, yet they cooperate with this grotesque absurdity. And that's the story of our culture, isn't it? That's the story. The story is not Alana McLaughlin. The Alana McLaughlins of the world are not the ones driving the radical social change that we're witnessing. They're not the ones driving our society over the cliff, which is, what, which is the, the radical change we're witnessing. The change is, is much the, the same as the change that a, that a car undergoes when it goes over a cliff and crashes on the rocks below. Civilization will not collapse because of them, because of the Alana McLaughlins. Instead, the real revolutionaries, unintentionally, are all of the millions of normal, basically sane people who know that what they're seeing is wrong, who know that it is not okay, and they know why it is not okay, and yet they remain quiet. And then ultimately, they're forced to participate in the evil that they oppose, but oppose silently in their hearts, where the opposition doesn't matter and accomplishes nothing. 
You want to almost feel sorry for those announcers who clearly want no part of this, but are forced to take part in it anyway. But then you realize that they're not forced. None of us are really forced. It's just that refusing to take part may require sacrifice. And many of us are not willing to make the sacrifice, no matter how great or small. All we have are excuses. We make our excuses while our civilization rots away beneath our feet. I'm personally tired of the excuses. I'm tired of gutless cowards like the announcers in that MMA match. Who could have refused to, to be a part of it. Or you know what's even better? They could have said, sure, yeah, I'll, I'll announce this match. And then they could have spent the entire time talking about what an absolute travesty the entire thing was. That would have taken guts. They would have lost their jobs. They would have had lots of people coming after them. But we're at a point now where you have to do the thing that requires courage. And if you won't do it, then you're no better than anyone on the other side. And that's why today, ultimately, the announcers in that match and all like them are canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2021. Poll workers inform Republicans in California that they've already unwittingly voted on the recall of Governor Newsom. AOC wears a tax the rich dress to a party full of rich people. And Dr. Fauci wants to mandate vaccines for air travel. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.